It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Well, before the game, the Mets' official team puppy, a three-month-old yellow lab named Shea, was on the field making number twos in front of the team that's number one. The dog... Alas, is winless. Now, the Mets' bats failed to get moving. Chris Bassett was hit hard early. It added up to a rather dull 5-2 loss at City Field. So we'll begin with a dad joke to cheer you up. A receptionist alerted the doctor that a man is out here who says he's invisible. Tell him I can't see him right now, said the doctor. Mets in the morning is next. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing While coffee is brewing now Here's Josh Lewin Yeah, that's me And coming in, we said the Mets were the only team in baseball this year To put together three separate win streaks of three or more games They put together seven of those all of last year And only two in 2020 in the shortened season A lot of great things to tell you 59 to 30 Mets in terms of runs scored, a 350 OBP to lead the majors. Best ERA in the majors at 235. Really good stuff. You may remember, though, that the opponent won 107 games last year. I mean, those guys are good. The Giants were about 30 games better than everybody thought they'd be last year. This year, almost the same great ERA as the Mets. How almost? The Mets came into this game at 2.3551. The Giants at 2.3557. And that world-class manager that's led the Mets to that 9-3 start, he was unavailable. Buck Showalter having a medical procedure that uh, his doctor said he really needed to have. So it was going to be Glenn Sherlock, because he's done that before, but he was on the COVID list. So how about a college of coaches? How about Jeremy Hefner, Eric Chavez, and Dick Scott? There used to be an actual college of coaches in January of 1961, before the Mets were even a thing. At the annual hot stove press luncheon of the Cubs, the Cubs owner, the chewing gum magnate Philip K. Wrigley, announced that going forward, the Cubs are going to operate without a manager, quote, as that position is generally understood. An eight-man coaching staff would just take turns directing the major league team, and they, those same coaches would just kind of rotate through the Cubs' minor league system, too. College of Coaches. How did it go? Uh, well, there were 64 and 91 year and 59 and 103 the other year that they tried it. So uh, stick to gum, Mr. Wrigley, would be my general advice. I was a little surprised that Joey Cora didn't take the reins. Not that it really would have mattered one way or the other because Carlos Rodon was so good for the Giants on the mound. We haven't talked much about Joey Cora. He was not a bad ball player back in the day. He was in the postseason four times with the White Sox, the Mariners a couple times, the Indians. And once he became a minor league manager, he did so with the Mets organization. He was rookie league manager at Kingsport in 2001 and 02. That 01 season featured a third baseman at Kingsport named David Wright. And if you go back to Joey Cora's playing days, it's kind of funny he'd be doing Buck a solid here in 2022 in any measure. Because you go back to 95, 
The Mariners had never made the playoffs their first 18 years of their existence. When they finally broke through, Cora played a big part in it, and then he cheesed off Buck in the decisive Game 5 of the now iconic ALDS that October. It was Joey Cora that let off that fateful ninth inning with his trademark bunt single. Buck went ballistic. He claimed that Joey Cora had veered out of the base path to avoid Don Mattingly's tag. Cora later scored the tying run ahead of Ken Griffey Jr.'s iconic series-clinching sprint around the bases on that double by Edgar Martinez. Mattingly's last game was a player, Buck's last game managing the Yankees. And uh, Joey Cora's three years in change in Seattle were really good. Hit 293, 2,000 plate appearances there, made an all-star team. Smart guy, got out of Vanderbilt in three and a half years with a math degree. That's a good school, too. Of course, his brother's pretty sharp as well. Alex Cora managing the first place team in the AL East, the Boston Red Sox. So anyway, uh, Cora was around, but not involved in this coaching college. There was a roster move before the game. Mark Canna off the COVID IL a day behind Brandon Nimmo. Matt Reynolds DFA'd to make room. All right, so the game. He had Chris Bassett and Carlos Rodon. ERAs of 1.50 and 0.75, respectively. Chris Bassett had not allowed more than three hits in his last six starts going back to last August. Only 20 pitchers, that includes openers, in modern history have had a longer streak than that. He had allowed only five runs in that time, given up more than three runs, or excuse me, not given up, but more than three runs in his last eight straight starts going back to July of last year. He's been mixing everything up, four-seam fastball, slider, sinker, cutter, curve, change-up, just kind of a sampler platter of options here, and everything was working last time out. In his city field debut, that was against the Diamondbacks. He pitched six innings of one-run ball, two hits allowed, struck out six, well, this would be a different experience right away because, well, let's back up. You had you had to be better than Carlos Rodon, and that was not going to be easy. Rodon making his third start for the Giants, facing the Mets for the first time in his career. Left-hander had struck out 21 batters in his first two starts, second most by any player since 1901 in their first two starts with the Giants. The New York Giants, Cliff Melton. Back in 1937, had 22 strikeouts instead of 21. So there. The last time out for Rodon, uh, he averaged not even 13 pitches per inning in Cleveland. The only start uh, last year where he had a lower pitches per inning was his no-hitter, also against Cleveland. In Cleveland this year, that's the team with the best offense, ridiculously, so far in Major League Baseball. He completely throttled them last time out. It's a strikeout pitcher. One-time third overall pick in the draft coming out of North Carolina State. So his resume was sterling. We knew that. And putting it out there as these two ace types were going to have at it, the average start so far this year all across baseball has been about four and a half innings. That's barely half a game. There's not been a complete game yet this year. The, the days of starters going deep into games is history. This is bordering on stupid now. And it's important to note that even in the lockout-shortened spring training of 2020, or excuse me, in the COVID-shortened 2020, it was 4.7 innings per game, not 4.5. So here we are in 2022, and a little bit longer of a ramp-up in spring training, got an extra week, and it's still at just 4.5 innings on average for a starter. So you got that to look at just kind of across the board in baseball, Home runs are down this year, big time in baseball so far. People are saying it could be the ball itself 
that uh, maybe the way it's being wound is different. Of course, humidors are now in place in every ballpark this year. That hasn't happened before. For whatever reason, and cold weather could be part of it, too. The balls are just not flying, at least not a lot of them. So in the top of the first inning, let's finally get to the game here. The Giants did grab the lead right away. They got uh, one Brandon out, but not the other. Brandon Belt, the birthday boy, popped out. But Brandon Crawford had an RBI single. That made him four for seven lifetime at that point against Bassett. Jock Peterson had an RBI double. And when old friend Wilmer Flores singled to right, it became three to nothing right away. One run allowed for each of the Mets' co-managers. Give the Giants some credit for cramming some of the Mets' own medicine down their throats. There were some high-quality grinded-out at-bats, including a nine-pitch walker and by Darren Ruff, the former Philly. That, of course, is Shea, the puppy's favorite dog, Darren Ruff. <laughs> ah, nah. when, when the carnage was over, it was a 25-pitch first inning for Bassett. Not another low-key dog reference here, I suppose. Top of the second, 3-0, the birthday Brandon did come through. Towering home run into the right field bleachers for Belt. His fourth of the year already, first ever hit on his birthday. He'd been 0 for 18 before that somehow, poor guy, on his birthday. Belt used to be a doubles hitter, but we mentioned on the podcast yesterday, he's actually got the highest slugging percentage of anyone in baseball, 2020-21-22. Last year, 29 home runs and only 90 games played. His previous high had been 18, so he's hitting him longer as he grows older. Very odd phenomenon for the guy they used to call the baby giraffe. Bottom of the second, a little bit of life for the Mets. Escobar, his league-leading seventh double already. Eight of his 12 hits at this point this year for extra bases, and he's also averaging a walk per game. Last year it was a walk per series. And just putting it out there, but the Mets' all-time record for doubles by a player in a single season is only 44. Bernard Gilkey did it his one great season of 96. Three times David Wright had 42 in a season, but no Met has ever gotten a 45. Escobar looks like he might be that guy. He's got seven so far in nine games played. But even though he doubled in that second inning, the Mets didn't score. Uh, double E stranded. And, and there's a rabbit hole to go down if we're bored. Athletes who were double E. Edwin Encarnacion comes to mind. That's tough to say. Let me try it again. Edwin Encarnacion. Ernie Ells is easier to say. Football tight end Eric Ebron. Former Northwestern basketball great Evan Eschmeyer. Uh, Non-athletes. I got Eric Estrada and Emilio Estevez. But I would think in baseball you don't want multiple E's in your name. It's like being a pitcher with the last name Walker. Escobar uh, did end up with two hits in this game. Pete Alonso with three. Brandon Nimmo had two hits. But... Francisco Lindor finally had an off night at the plate. He had been 5 for 12 with runners in scoring position. Last night, he never had a chance to build on that. Marte in front of him, 1 for 5, was caught stealing. Lindor ended up 0 for 5. And Rodon was great. Five innings, three hits, no runs, eight strikeouts. And the Mets were already down 5 nothing before the Giants' bullpen bent just a little bit. Marte knocked in a run in the seventh. And then this happened in the eighth. 0-1, oh, now the pitch. Breaking ball, hit on the ground, up the middle, base hit, past the diving, Crawford into center field. Around third, coming home is Alonzo. He'll score standing as the throw comes into second. Stopping at second is Escobar. And on at first with an RBI single is Marcana. The Giants' lead is cut to 5-2, to two, and the Mets will bring the tying man to the plate. That's as close as the Mets would get. Got to get a highlight in there, courtesy of WCBS for you. 5-2 loss to fall to 9-4. 
That's eight straight games for San Francisco without allowing a home run. That is impressive. And if you want one stat that best sums up how the Giants won those 107 games last year, they hit a lot of home runs. They didn't allow many. They hit 241. They allowed 151. That is a plus 90. That is tough to do. And they didn't have a single 30 home run hitter. Mentioned Brandon Belt led with 29. Only Brandon Crawford and Mike Yastrzemski batted 500 times. And Gabe Kapler's platooning was the big thing last year. Gabe has come a long way from his two rough seasons in Philly. As for the Mets manager or managers on Tuesday night, Jeremy Hefner met the media after the game to represent the triumvirate that had pinch hit for Buck. Yeah, obviously it wasn't one of his best ones, but um, I felt like he made some adjustments, you know, third time through second, into the second, and then third time through, um, started mixing in his slower breaking balls to the lefties. That seemed to um, help him out, keep him off balance. What do you think went wrong in the first inning? Um, it looked like they were committed to the inner half and not getting beat in there. Um, Chris did a really good job against the Diamondbacks of commanding the inner half of the plate against the lefties, and um, it, it was very apparent that they weren't going to get beat in there, and um, um, we kept going to the well maybe a little bit too too often, and they were able to to sneak some balls through. Uh, how did the managing by committee actually work? Yeah, so uh, Chavi and Dickie and myself, we just talked through um, more so me on the pitching side, and then Dickie and Chavi on the on the hitting side, um, just talking about the pitching situations and who we we're going to bring in the game when to take Chris out, who we we're going to bring in, and in what situation. How easy or difficult was that to do, just for everyone to be on the same page with every you know, decision you would have to make over the course of the game? Yeah, I mean, you have a lot of guys with a lot of experience in there, and even Joey and, and Kirby, and you got guys like Max, and there's a lot of experience in that. Um, in that dugout, so there was no, there was no question that we're going to be able to, to navigate the game and talk through things and those types of things. Obviously, we miss Buck and um, his leadership, but um, thought, you know, given the circumstances, we did a good job. Obviously, this is probably a better question for the other two guys, but you're standing here, so did uh, Marte have the green light there when he stole that base, or did you guys call for him to steal that? Base? Yeah, that's a much better question for the other guys. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I know you lost the game, so it probably lose a little bit of shine, but like, was it a fun experience? Was it an interesting experience to do something like that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that in my experience here with previous managers and with also with Buck, like the communication and collaboration has, has been strong. And being able to talk through the game and understand um, why certain decisions are made, like that's that was un, that's been unchanged, and that was the same as today. So um, I've always felt a part of the game and in the decisions, and so um, it was fun to, um, you know, I haven't had that experience with Chavi and Dickie, and so having that experience with them was a lot of fun. How much uh, was Buck in your ear either last night or even before the game today? Yeah, I mean, we talked this morning before he before he had to do his thing, and um, just yeah, just reiterating some of the things that we normally talk about during the course of the day, and pitcher availability, and um, how far we were going to take Chris, and those types of things. So, nor- normal conversations today. How was the uh, eighth inning and ninth inning? You guys had a couple pinch hitters, figure out some defensive alignments. Was that the most challenging part of the game, figure mm-hmm. out all those moving parts on the fly? Yeah, sure. And then, obviously, we were a home run away from it being a really close game. And so who do, who do we bring in in the eighth or, obviously, Sugar in the ninth? But um, who we were going to bring in the eighth if, you know, we, we turn the game around or, or whatnot. But, yeah, definitely, you know, firing Dom in that situation and um, and Robbie in that situation was important against um, their tough right. Well, once again, 5-2, the final from Tuesday night, a night that Bassett just didn't have it. He met the media too. Uh, they had a really good plan and executed really well. 
Third time through the order, you seem to settle in. What adjustments did you make? It was it was more so just trusting my stuff um, and location. I mean, I was up in the zone a lot, and you can get weak contact when you're up in the zone. You did get a little bit of weak contact in the first inning. There is it is it less frustrating when that's the case as opposed to you know being harder, or is it kind of all the same when we're on the score? Nah, it's all the same. I mean, their approaches were really good, and that's what allows them to do weak contact hits. Um, so yeah. How difficult is it to manage that lineup when they are as aggressive as they are? The aggression has nothing to do with it. There's a veteran quality hitting team. Aggression one way or the other, that's has nothing to do with it. What did you feel like you could count on tonight? Um, I would say everything once I started pitching, like I said, and just location-wise. Um, again, it was just too many pitches up in the zone. Does that give you a better feeling then, the way you finished? Once you started trusting your stuff? No, this this one won't feel good. I don't, I'm not going to take any positives from this one. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So if you haven't heard about this yet, a new dugout, if you will, has arrived at City Field. It's called the Sensory Nook, and it's designed to help those with autism and ADHD escape from the overstimulation that can occur at sporting events. It's free to use by any guest who just needs a break from the excitement of the action. Sensory Nook is a specialized version of uh, regular Nook. That's the product originally designed for the office space. Create the emotionally intelligent workspace and all that. It's available now at City Field. It's in the stadium concourse and it's there to be used by those who may need it. That's kind of a nice thing that they're doing for sure. Matinee today, Carlos Carrasco with an ERA of one and a half. Five scoreless and eight strikeouts, too, against Arizona last time out. He's up against, out of Colts Neck High School in Freehold, New Jersey, Anthony DeSclafani, 4.3 ERA, former Marlin and Red, now a giant for a second straight season. Well, that brings us towards the end anyway. Time to meet that house band. At least they're working hard for you. On keyboards on, yes, again, it was played on 420. Josh Smoker. Slapping to bass was Tommy Malone. The horn section, Brent Gaff. And keeping it completely in the bullpen on drums, ladies and gentlemen, Josh Edgen. This is Josh Lewin. Appreciate your time. Sorry we don't have... uh, a better final score for you than 5-2 San Francisco. But, hey, at least you got to hear some dad jokes, right? Take it easy. Let's go Mets. Bye-bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazon's 
of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 